This is the Pipe Man here on the Adventures of Pipe Man W4CY Radio, and I am super duper excited about the next guest because she is a superstar. And those of you that listen to me know I don't say that about everybody. In fact, I might talk crap about people too, but I would never do that with this person because, I mean, she's just a wealth of information and just such a total pro. And what has one of our best shows on the network here too as well so that kind of helps so with no further ado i would like to welcome to the show elise cortez dr elise cortez hey thanks for having me this is so fun to be on the other side of the mic with you i know right and you know it's interesting because we have a long relationship because we've been doing stuff together here on the network for a long time so I, I, at first I'm like just calling you just the way I would normally call you, Elise Cortez, but you're a doctor, so I have to give you that proper props right there. Oh, and we can just dispense with that. Now that we've gotten that out, we can just, <laughs> just dispense with that and get right on into the Elise realm. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, the Elise realm is a bunch of great books, but most importantly probably your best book yet that just came out this year so let's talk about that yeah you know it probably is my best book so far dean and that's just a matter of practice right so this is number four it's called the great revitalization how activating meaning and purpose can radically enliven your business and more fun than i was supposed to with that whole thing so yeah that just came out in march of 2023 and it's probably my best work because it's the most synthesized uh attempt to be able to bring together a vast amount of information in a memorable acronym. Well, there's two great things that I love about this book. And then I want, I definitely want you to go over the acronym because it is pretty cool. But what I love about it is the first part of the name and the title, the great revitalization. And so to me, that is so appropriate for the times we're living in right now But most importantly, this is what you focus on in the book that I absolutely love. I'm a firm believer that you either need to roll with the changes or you're going to die with the changes. And those changes are here, whether we want to agree with them or not, they are here. And you show in this book very essential tools to roll with those changes, revitalize your business and revitalize yourself first, because I think that's important too. You gotta revitalize yourself before you revitalize your business, in my opinion. Yep, and that's why the first chapter is is on gumption, and really what that is, Dean, is it's putting your own oxygen mask on first, just like you were saying. You know, breathe life back into yourself. You can't can't do that for others until you've done that for yourself. You're spot on right. Yeah, it's just like going on the plane, what do they tell you? And you know, so many people would try to argue that, but then you end up helping nobody and, and maybe hurting everyone. So it's better if you want to help people to help yourself first, right? 
Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And, and plus, you just can't be somebody that that's worth following. Certainly, not be inspirational if you you know you're, you're out of gas yourself. Oh, no doubt about it. And so I that's why I absolutely love the name of the book, the Great Revitalization: How Activating Meaning and Purpose Can Radically Enliven Your Business. That that's. I think that's exactly what everybody needs in 2023 to be truthful after the past several years we've had. Yeah. You know, just before I got on with you, Dean, I was having an interaction with um, a woman that I was going to be doing. I was going to host a, a, a woman's storytelling session here in, um, in Dallas on Wednesday. I reached out to her. I said, Hey, you know, we just don't have hardly any takers right now. And I know that part of that is because it's just really hard to coax people out into public events post COVID it's really hard to, you know, get people to want to come out and play. It seems like I've seen this across many of the other events that, that I'm responsible for in Dallas and other other boards that I sit on. And I do think that it just takes. There's just the world has been fundamentally fundamentally altered, and so have, have its inhabitants. And it's a matter of how do you how do you actually how are you how can you remain viable in a in a time like that? That's what the book is really getting to. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. You're in Texas. I'm in Florida. We're the two states that people listening would think, well, I'm sure you're not having any problems. But listen, what went on is definitely like even with going back to work, people, I think personally, 90% of the people working in an environment are going to produce more than working from home. That's me. What do you think? Wow, that's a good well, it's a good uh, that's a good fodder question for for debate for sure. I, I think it the answer is it depends. Yes. Um, what I've discovered, Dean, is that people that are really um, you know more introverted people, they're more sensitive to stimulate stimulation, do better at home because they don't like all of the excess interaction energy for them. So they actually are more productive at home. Um, I think then, you know, so the extroverts, of course, were starving during the during the pandemic, and many mm-hmm. of them were like really were at their wits' end and needing that socialization. And then when we look at this notion of you know work life harmony, where people, you know, so before the pandemic, people really really did orient their whole lives around their work, you know, their commute, that they missed their children's activities, you know, missing exercise, whatever. It was just everything was at the at around the work work realm. And now what people are wanting is. They want a life that's anchored in things that are meaningful and purposeful to them and work that actually fits into that. And so, um, you know, what's what I've been seeing is that you might be more productive, you know, in the office, but maybe not five days a week. But what what people really do need is they need some ability to be able to flex with and Mm -hmm. through all of their life's activities, including work, so that they they're happy, for example, to drop the kids off at school at, you know, 830, get to the office by nine, 930 and then. Maybe they drop in for a soccer game at 3.30. They keep working until, you know, 7, get the dinner on the table, grab back in another couple more hours at night kind of thing. So there's a, that flow that seems to work well for an individual person, you know, to try to make their life work. The opportunity now is, I think, in this new this new era is for organizations to find a way to more adeptly fully engage and enroll that energy and talent because it's a different flow if they're not actually in the office. So, um, anyway, that's my longer, bigger answer to that. I love that answer because, listen, I ask questions because I want to have both sides. Like, I'm a big believer. Let's have both sides 
of the equation because people listening, they're listening. They have both sides of the equation, and and it is true. I think it is a case by case basis. I think there's different people. Just like as an example, having office meetings for some people, people like me, those things get you all pumped up and and they help you produce more. For other people, especially like introvert type of people that you were referring to before, to your point, they hate those meetings. Like if they never, I I know people that like, please never have a meeting. And then there's other people that are like, they want meetings all the time because they want that, that energy that comes from it. So everybody is different. And that's what I think is great about what you teach and about your book, because I think it applies to all people instead of just one side or two sides or part of the equation. What do you think? Yeah. Um, well, so here's what I've really come to, and you know this because of our work together over some of the years, but you know, I really believe in the power of work. I, I'm really mm-hmm. trying to move it away from its terrible status of being a bad four-letter word right. <laughs> for most people to to a place where they could really realize their potential, their potential, and come alive. And for a lot of people, that's just not what it is for them. And so there's this vast opportunity to greatly overhaul the workplace and in, in, in many for many companies. And you know, like look at you, you know, you you gallivant the, the globe with yeah. your work. I think I think you know for you. Work is definitely not a bad four-letter word. I'm, I know that there are days as a business owner that I, I know it has its <laughs> tremendous challenges, but I would not think that for a moment that you would think work is a bad thing. Is, is that, Am I right about this? Oh, you're totally right. It should never be a bad thing because how much of our life do we spend working? But the important thing is, like you were saying before, the whole balance thing. I think if I think if a person can balance it too – Cause like I know people too, that during COVID when they were working from home, like people I know personally, not that worked for me, but people I knew personally that would like switch their computer on like they're working and then go surfing. But I say, have this dedicated block of time for working and this dedicated block of time for surfing. That's why when I went to Bali, listen, while everybody else is sleeping here, I was surfing and while everybody was awake, I was working. Right. That, and that's a beautiful life, Dean. Oh, my gosh, that's a beautiful life. And so, you know, back to your point of, you know, this whole notion of how do we actually engage people and, you know, make sure bring them into the place where they're they're productive, et cetera. I do think we have entered a whole new realm that has it requires companies and leadership to really notch up their game in terms of how do we attract people? How do we we make people make make our place a place that people want to come give their best and stay that so it's really requiring a huge kick upstairs which of course i hope my book is going to help them get there so i think we've entered a whole new playing field and so we're wherein we used to focus on presenteeism if i can see you i know you're working now we need to focus on the productivity what's mm-hmm. the output of, of 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 their efforts and their time Regardless of what, you know, if, if it's done at four o'clock in the morning, like your point, you know, when maybe everybody else is sleeping, you're surfing or whether it's done at midnight, maybe when, you know, when they're at their best, if your business um, operation can can manage that kind of flow. But I think we really moved into a realm where there is this fluidity between life and work and family and interests, et cetera. And the better companies will do will be well served by really leaning into that and trying to figure out how do we make this work? How do we ride this wave? And it's not the wave that we served 
yesterday, last year, or three years ago, by the way. Yeah, no doubt. And you know what I've found, and tell me what your thoughts are on this, like, I've actually taken seminars on the, the hiring of, you know, younger generations, specifically the millennials or Gen Z, and they have a totally different ethic than, say, Gen X and the boomers. And not good or bad, just different. But the part that is different, it hones in exactly on a lot of what you talk about and, and what you're talking about now, but what you also talk about in the book, because they're more about living life, not just working, you know, and, and that balance and about valuing things. Like, what are their values in the workplace? You know, I grew up, the values were the place you could make the most money, that's where you went to work. The younger right. generation, that's not their values. In fact, one of the seminars I took, it was like, that was bottom of the list for millennials. If you want to hire millennials, they want to know that they're making a difference. So make that the priority in your hiring process. So what you work with a lot of companies. What have your experiences been and what have you seen out there? Hmm. Well, that's why I opened this book with the introduction of I've, I've written this book for one of two camps of people. One is the camp that are literally pulling their hair out there at their wits and going, what the hell? How in the world do I actually get these people to want to come to work for me and stick around? Um, and they just don't know. They, they can't figure out that their old formula is not working. It's for, for those people. The other camp is for the people that are just really forward thinking and they are out to reach forward to the you know to the end of the envelope to be able to always be doing best in practice kind of stuff so i think a lot of people are are not understanding the these these you know millennials are called wise of course and then you have the gen z's behind them they're not understanding this younger these younger generations and the values that that move them forward and yes you're right they are they care more about they insist i should say on doing meaningful work Mm -hmm. And they insist on do, doing that for an organization with whom they align in values, what they're doing in the world, how they comport themselves, how they treat their communities, their customers, their employees is really important to Gen Ys and Zs. And they will vote with their feet if they if they don't see it. And increasingly, we're seeing that more and more customers are buying into that kind of line of thinking, too, and they vote with their wallet. If they like the way that you behave and operate as a company, and that aligns with their values, they will choose to support you. If anything that you do doesn't align with their values, they will then take their business elsewhere. Very thoughtful. They're very thoughtful and choiceful about where they put their feet in life and how they spend their money. It's interesting how you should say that because it is, it is funny the difference there too. Like I think people from my generation kind of, turned a blind eye to certain things in workplaces that this generation will not do. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think, I think you and I are of, of the same generation. I'm just the very end of the, the, the Gen X. Me too. Um, we, we didn't, we, I don't think we really knew better back then. So I think today's generations are much more informed. Um, and there's, and honestly, I, I think that each with each generation, you gain a higher level of consciousness. And I would, I hope that's called evolution, right? Yeah. So I think where, when we came into the world, Dean, we, you know, we, and we didn't have access to nearly as much information at that time. I'm not going to give us a pass on this deal because I do think in some ways we, 
I think we accepted the line of thinking that, oh, that's just business. It can be ugly, you know, but it, that's what it takes sometimes. I think we probably accepted that on some level and, and we didn't know better. So it's, it was kind of a double whammy. Yeah, 100%. And the thing is, is that it's also interesting. I found out that the younger generation, it's the first time in history the younger generation has been, uh, is teaching the older generation. So that's where... I think your book comes into play because we need to teach all generations how to operate in the workplace and to make, to fill these goals where people are happy to be at that workplace and feel they're making a difference and feel that they're making a difference in their own life, you know, and, and like, what's the use of working so hard if you don't enjoy life? So, I love how your book is broken up into two parts and part one is the what and the part two is the how. How about you expand on that? Yeah, this is where it was just fun. So let me first say this, Dean, the way that I've written this book and then the, the very first one that I did, number one, which is called Purpose Ignited, what happened, what happened was I started going through the arsenals of all the stuff that I'd learned by, you know, hosting the Working on Purpose radio show that I, I have with with you. And, you know, because that's a thought leadership platform and I read the book of the authors each and every week in preparation for that conversation, I accumulate a lot of information. That's why at some point it, it gets dumped out into a book. But as I go through and I was looking at all these different concepts of what I had learned over the course of the last couple of years since, the you know, one of the last books came out. I started looking at the the different concepts and and started thinking about what what is this stuff telling me? What's what's bubbling up to the surface here that I could start to look at thematically, conceptually? And so I right out of the gate, I recognized I need to be able to tell people what's going on in the world. That's the first part. They need to really understand just what the heck happened in the last few years, starting with COVID. So I laid the book out that way. And then the second part, of course, I realized was I needed to be able to tell them now what to, or how to actually address that through best practices. So as I was culling through all the information there, um, I started to recognize that some of the concepts that were coming up there, they, I could I could coalesce them into different camps again. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to create for the first time, this is the first book that I actually organize the principles around an acronym because I thought it would be memorable and I've seen other authors do that who I admire. So the first part of the book really is organized around the, uh, the notion of gusto. And the reason I chose gusto, Dean, is because gusto means something in English, Spanish, and Portuguese, and I, I speak all those languages. Hmm. And it usually, it generally means, you know, people, when I ask people what, you know, in an audience, what is, what does gusto mean to you? I get this wide variety of answers, but people say things like zest, oomph, motivation, energy, somebody kind of growled one time you know, when I asked him that. And I said, yeah, it's all those things, right? That's what it takes to be able to to to, to do business in today's world. Too. That's what it requires is this kind of gusto. Well, then I was like, well, then I wanted to be able to, I knew what the general five components of that were going to be. So I organized the first part around gumption, which is, you know, that that's where you really need to be able to fall in love with your business again as the leader, look for ways to, to really make it beautiful by increasing the level of value that you have for all of your stakeholders. That will already increase, you know, your capacity to fall in love with your, your with your business again. So that's the putting the oxygen mask back on like we were talking about. 
Um, so then that's the G. Then the U is for, for urgency. And this really speaks to, hey, the world changed and it is not going back. We are not putting the genie back in the bottle. You've got to urgently pivot the way you've been hiring, um, pr- training, and evaluating your people and keeping them. So it speaks to some urgency around around that piece of it. The S is to is for sustainability, which really speaks to, I don't care what business you're in today, what's happened is the world has evolved, especially with those younger generations, and they will insist that you take some kind of a stand on sustainability and you talk about it publicly, what you're doing to do to address sustainability and that you're you're doing something with and through your operations that shows that commitment. It's just becoming a business imperative. And the T is for therapy. And by that, I mean specifically um, therapy through meaning, since I'm a meaning and purpose gal. So what I'm really p- putting forth there is that um, today's workforce is hungry for meaning. If you find a way to be able to help them understand what they're doing with their time with you is meaningful, got a much better job of engaging their hearts and minds in keeping them. And then the last chapter in the what of the of the gusto is O, ownership through purpose. And that's really about how to create uh, an organization that is first and foremost anchored in its purpose and everyone's heartbeat is aligned to that. You do that, all the stakeholders and all the employees now you're cooking with gas. So that's that's the first part of the book. It's really helping people to recognize this is the what of what it takes to do business in the world today. So that's the gusto piece. Do you want to add anything to that before I go, go into the second part? I do, actually, because, you know, I love, listen, I know you're all about meaning, and I love that you mentioned it because that falls right in line with what I was saying before is, like, people want to feel that they're making a difference, which means that they want to have some meaning and purpose to go into work every day. And their meaning and purpose isn't about the money. The money is something they need, but it's not the meaning and the purpose. Would you agree? Yeah, it's definitely a secondary component, right? It's, it's necessary. Um, so as I don't know if you know this or not, Dean, but I'm, I'm a, a, an organizational logotherapist. So I'm schooled in Viktor Frankl's existential psychology called logotherapy. And so, you know, what we understand through that lens is that, um, if you look through the through logotherapy as a philosophy of life, what it what it puts forth is that meaning is our chief concern as human beings, and it's our chief source of motivation and energy. So, therefore, the, the extent to which we can find meaning in the everyday moments of our lives, the more energy and vitality that we have, and then two, that notion of purpose. I, I don't. I can guarantee you, you cannot go through a day today anywhere in the world without hearing those two words, meaning and yes. purpose. It's just that prevalent. But both of those words get whitewashed. So where we can actually really you know, find where the rubber hits the road for people, where they can really experience, feel like their lives are meaningful, they're making a difference, they're doing what they're, why, they're, why they were put on earth, uh, I think increasingly more and more people, especially the younger generations, are insisting on that. And they will not work for an organization that, that – in any way cast out that they can have those things. Yes, absolutely. And the other thing I love about part one is gumption, because I always have gumption. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> but more importantly, you know, listen, I mean, you have to have the gumption to be able to roll with changes. My grandmother used to say, the only thing constant in life is change. And we're definitely, like you said, there's no way we're going back to pre covid times it's just we are in new times new ways of doing business new ways of operating and 
I, and that doesn't even have to do with COVID. It has even in my business in the media industry has been constantly evolving for years. And when I first started the network um, about 16 years ago, I saw the vision of where things were going to be today, and everybody thought I was nuts. So all those people that thought I was nuts, I used to always say, you have WKRP in Cincinnati syndrome. (laughs) 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 For those that don't understand that, this was a 70s show about a 70s radio station, and a lot of radio and TV is trying to operate back in the good old days of the way it was. And it's just not that way anymore. As a matter of fact, I remember telling people when I started network, you're going to see AM, FM go away. And they're like, you're nuts. That'll never happen. Last time somebody said that was when Bill Gates told IBM that you'll see a PC in every home. You know, mm-hmm. but, but the news that we just had, and I don't even know if you know this, Elise, but news we just had two weeks ago is that major car manufacturers have decided that they no longer want to put AM in cars. So oh, I didn't hear it. Yeah. So see, there it is. You know, so everything's going to change. And in order for you to survive and and have sustainability in your business, you have to evolve And with everything that's going on. Now, the question is, most people may not know how to do that. So that's where I think they need part two, the how. Yeah. And that's where I had again with that. I did that the now principle for that. So I what I wanted to what I wanted to do there, Dean, was I was like, okay, I have been accused of being I can be cerebral and very theoretical and abstract, and I love ideas. They're yummy. They're so tasty to me. But this time I decided to get a little more practical and and say, okay, well, what can these people actually do about this? How can they actually help and and to create and address what the world or the workplace is asking them to do? So the second part of the book is the how through now. And so there's three chapters in O and W. So the end chapter is nurturing through mindfulness. And I had, again, way more fun than I was supposed to have with this Dean and that I decided to organize these practice practices around intelligence types. So the first um, chapter nurturing through mindfulness is really anchored in what you would call IQ, you know, intellectual quotient. So it really, it's resting on logic and rationale kinds of things. And so it really speaks to, you know, doing a human human capital, human processes audit on your business and really looking to see how everything in your business, how it touches people. Is there any aspect, and there is, let me guarantee you, that's actually sucking the life out of your people. And that's what needs to be changed and addressed. So there's a lot of bureaucracy. People have to go through a lot of motions just to get to work, to get to work done. So the, the more you can relieve that congestion for them, the more they can actually be more productive and and happy and content. So there's things in there about, you know, focusing on their strengths. I tell, I am a fan of banishing high performance programs because they're only focused on a portion of your population. You need your whole population growing and learning, not just special one special segment. So it has those kinds of practices in it that really are really designed to also add things like artificial intelligence and robotics to relieve monotonous kind of work. So you can see everything in there is really built on the notion of, you know, logic being rational about how you're running your business. Before I go on to the second chapter, do you want to say anything about that? Well, only thing I want to say is about the AI, because that's a perfect example because how many people in the world right now are resistant to AI? And you know what? It's happening 
whether you like it or not. And I've seen many industries already changing the way they do business because of AI, including writing show notes for an interview like this. Because, oh, I've done it too, Dean. I've actually know? used ChatGBT to generate at least a partial bit of my show notes when I was crunched for time, and it just gave me kind of a nice platform to build from. So absolutely. And then on top of that, I mean, so many organizations do such redundant work, like sending a lot of emails. Well, right. people didn't go to college for four years to send out a bunch of emails, right? So <laughs> know, right? that's what we're getting at. It's looking for ways. Where can we get rid of the stuff that actually is monotonous for people so you can get them to do higher level, more interesting, challenging work? That's what they want. So, yeah. So AI is – there's lots of ways to use AI and robotics and, and, and even chat GPT these days. Yeah, and I, I think – listen, as a business owner, there's plenty of tasks that I do – that A, I shouldn't be doing, B, get in the way of the important tasks that help you in your growth. And yeah. using something like AI eliminates those tasks so that you have more time to do the things that the AI can't do that is so important to your business growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that only a human can do. So and I'm a big proponent of that. So then, you know, once you once you do stuff like that and you've actually organized your business really much more practically around, you know, a frame, an operational frame that really allows people to give more of their best, you've gotten the clutter out of the way. Then you can go on to chapter seven, which is the open the heart chapter in the now and that really speaks to using emotional intelligence. All of the principles in that are, are the next kind of intelligence that we, we've, you can't go another day without hearing about emotional intelligence. And this really speaks to, you know, becoming a caring leader, actually paying attention to what your people actually want across their lives. Like, for example, Dean, I just, I, I met a woman um, speaking, uh, now it's been two weeks, she was in my audience and I was talking about leading with passion, working on purpose. And she goes, but, but at what point do I throw in the towel? And she told me all the things that were going on with her boss. And, you know, she's, she's got an hour and a half commute each way. So three hours a day, she has a two and a half year old son. She works in the pharmaceutical industry. She loves her industry and her job. And she's happy to, to come into the office four days a week. But when she arrives two minutes late, she gets the screaming from her boss saying, you don't care about my time. You don't value what's happening here. And I'm going, you don't care. She doesn't care about your time or you don't care hmm. about her time. Which one yeah, is that's it? That's what here? I was thinking. Uh, you, know, you know, so she did. She quit because she was also a screamer. And no, this woman doesn't have any emotional intelligence herself. And so anyway, the point being is that. Just as we were talking about before, this woman is happy to work her tail off. Just let her have a little bit of flex so she can actually put her baby to bed at night. So she can actually, you know, maybe commute to the office just a little bit later outside of traffic. So she's not spending an hour and a half in traffic. So this chapter really speaks to managing through meaning, encouraging people to find their passion if with and through their work. Um, giving them a platform for that, encourage them, encouraging them to be able to find a way to job purpose, if you will. There's ways to be able to accidentally sprinkle in, sprinkle in purpose through your work that you're doing just through the normal course of your day if it's not actually an, an explicit expression of your purpose. And then, of course, things like, you know, finding ways to relate and increase relational connection and belonging through, of course, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging today by 
making a space for everyone, which means reaching across the aisle and going, who are you? What do you care about? What can I learn from you? Be curious. Not, oh, they're different. Therefore, I don't know how to relate to them or they don't get invited to the party, but really being curious about and wanting everyone to feel welcome, wanted, and cherished in your organization, that's a game changer right there. So that's a lot of the stuff that that chapter is about, open your heart. And that that's just brilliant as far as I'm concerned because I related to something you were just saying. You're talking about, you know, what you're doing. And we were talking earlier about me going and covering, like, Download Festival. You know, tomorrow I'm leaving for that. So I have figured a way to take my personal passions and get paid for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it makes work a lot more fun because, yes, listen, we all have to do the work we don't want to do or maybe it's not so fun. But then if you mix in that other stuff, because here's what I always found. Okay, so as a perfect example, when I was in the investment business, I was thinking this way too. If you were a broker working for a brokerage firm, you were required to work like 16 hours a day. Wow. And I never did that for brokers that worked for me. Okay, because here's what I found. When I would see these brokerage firms where people were working 12-hour shifts, 16-hour shifts, they were stealing personal time. And what I mean by that is they would goof off in the office. They would do certain things. You know, they would sneak out for something or whatever. And I even saw things as drastic as people drinking in the workplace because they didn't have any social time, you know, so they snuck that in, you know, and it's like the way I looked at it was if you bring somebody in for a normal day and just let, tell them, listen, work your butt off during that time. You won't have to work nights. You won't have to work weekends and you can have that life to yourself and you could have a social life and do all the things you want to do, then those people were just as and more productive than the people working 16-hour days and because they were getting all the work done that needed to be done in the, in the required time of eight hours or less, cause, and they weren't screwing off. So the people on the 16-hour day would pace themselves. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and so that pacing gets a lot less pr- productivity done and doesn't make them happier. So then there's even less productivity because they're happy because they have no, and they're unhappy because they have no life. Whereas right. my peep brokers used to come in all charged up in the morning because they went out the night before and did whatever they wanted to do, even if it was just hanging out at home. And they didn't have to worry about anything. And they knew that, hey, if I just put 100% effort in the next several hours, then I have 100% effort in my personal life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really so true. And, yeah, so – and I think, I think again, this where it goes back to – I think all the – all every generation has something to impart to the other generations. Yes. You and I as Gen Xers can learn from the boomers and the traditionalists, and we can absolutely learn from the Ys and the Zs. And they can learn from us too. And and so one thing that that I think that the Ys and Zs have taught us is this notion of a full life. Yes. Um, you know, you don't know when the exit ramp is coming, but you know it is going to come. 
And so, you know, if you if you if you kill yourself for thinking you're you're going to work for 10, 20, 30 years, whatever, and then just retire. Well, what happens <laughs> if you only make it four years into that? Is that yeah. so? Yeah. The wise Caesar teaching us, well, let's let's, you know, just have some fullness to the days that we have. And I think that's a pretty beautiful lesson. Well, how about the fullness while you can do it? Like, because what you can do in your 20s and 30s is vastly different than what you could do in your 60s and 70s sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, so then that really speaks to the the last chapter is called Wake the Soul. And that really speaks to something that is not very often talked about today, but is starting to creep up. And that is spiritual intelligence. Yes, even in the workplace. And I don't mean I don't mean religious doctrines at all. This is really so spiritual intelligence really speaks to what Abraham Maslow would probably call the higher B values. And so this really speaks to values like compassion, uh, joy, awe, peace, love, consciousness. So this chapter is really about one, you know, being a leader worth following. Do the work, man. You got to do the push-ups. You got to do the work to be worth following. And that really also speaks to being able to add and in, in sprinkle in becoming an inspirational leader. Um, to lead people to their own greatness, and then certainly helping to articulate your company's purpose and aligning your people to that, and going the next step further of helping your people to ascertain to, or to discover their own purpose. Most companies, if they if they do know their own purpose, they haven't yet helped their employees do that. And then they can then align that with and through the, the organizational purpose. Very, very powerful. It also speaks to this notion of um, being able to add a, an element of what I call beauty into the business. Actually, I don't call that. Stephen Morris calls this notion of adding beauty into your business. And it really speaks to, again, looking for all different ways that you can more meaningfully serve all of your stakeholders. Because in so doing, you're going to operate at a higher level, a more evolved level. You're going to feel better about that yourself. It's going to be inspiring and meaningful for you. And so the, the, it's a regenerative cycle. Everybody, everybody wins in that exchange. And then finally, and this is where being an author really sometimes has its own magic, the very last segment of the very last chapter is called Accept the Summons of Centropy, and it's reaching to our higher potential. And it really speaks to, as an organization, being present to and sentient to that you're part of something much bigger whatever that is for you, and that your organization has a heartbeat connected to that bigger whole, and you as an organization have an opportunity, and I'm saying today almost a responsibility, to lean into that sort of spiritual intelligence quotient to allow it to reach and pull you up even higher as, an, as a leader and as a business owner. So that last little bit becomes really quite a, what I would say most people that have read the book have said it was the more arresting part of the book. So um, uh, that's how it finishes. It really is a it is a, a true invitation to reach for your very highest as a as an individual, as a leader, and as a company. I love it, and I do think all those components are absolutely necessary. It's just like baking a cake. If you leave one part of the recipe out, it's not going to taste the same. Yep. Yep. So now let's talk about something very important. And that is how people can get their hands on this book. Yeah. 
Well, let's do a couple things. Um, I hate to say this as an author, but the last place that you really want to send people is to Amazon um, <laughs> because as authors, we make the least amount of money there. However, it's the easiest place to find your, you know, my books. If you go to Amazon and type my name, Elise Cortez, you will find all of my books, my Working on Purpose radio show with W4CY and a few other things. If you want to buy like 30 or more copies of this book, you got to definitely contact me directly because I can, one, give you a better price and two, you just help me, you help me more directly. So you want to actually just email me at Elise at EliseCortez.com or go to EliseCortez.com website and there's lots of ways to contact me there. Nice. And yeah, definitely also give out all your socials, any other contact information you want them to have. Yeah, so um, I, most all my socials are, you know, Elise Cortez, A-L-I-S-E, Cortez with a Z. Easy to find me on LinkedIn, Elise Cortez. Facebook, Elise Cortez and Associates. Instagram, Elise Cortez. Uh, Twitter, Elise Cortez. So it's it's pretty pretty easy. And I'm welcomed and wanted for you to reach out. There you go. And we we definitely want everybody to that doesn't already – to definitely tune into your show, uh, Working on Purpose. I will say it right here. It is one of the best shows on our network. Uh, so people definitely have to check it out. And, I mean, it's just a wealth of information. If you're a person that works, <laughs> then you might want to listen to this show. <laughs> uh, uh but, yeah, I mean, absolutely amazing. Every Tuesday at 6 p.m., you can either listen to the show or you can watch the show. And it's you can go to W4CY Radio and, you know, click the Listen Here button or the Watch Here button. Or you can also go to talk for tv to watch the show. And multiple other places we broadcast up to like 10 different places that you can watch or listen to the show. And then catch the podcast afterwards because every one of your episodes, Elise, is available to all these people that you've been with us for years, and they can play catch-up right now. So they can go wherever they listen to uh, podcasts. You know, we, you know, we're partnered with iHeart. We're partnered with Pandora, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible. But you can go anywhere you listen to your podcasts, and you will find Working on Purpose. And Elise Cortez will help you to work on purpose. That is, if you... If you do work, <laughs> you have a final words for the listeners. Yeah. One precious life. You don't know when the exit ramp is coming. So let's live with passion, work on purpose and make a difference. No better words could be said. Thank you so much for what you do for everybody out there in the world and making a difference and giving people meaning and purpose. And thank you for being on the Adventures of Pipe Man. Thanks for having me, Dean. It's it's been it's been a delight. Thank you for listening to the Adventures of Pipe Man on W4CY Radio. Mm-hmm.